Turn with me, your Bibles, to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5 is our text this morning. Jumping in right where Chris jumped, uh, left off two weeks ago. Title of today's message is Jesus, our Senior Pastor. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. Let me read it, and then we'll pray. It says, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Thank you for your word, Lord. And thank you that in your word are clear instructions and guidelines, that it reveals to you, reveals to us your will for our lives, and specifically how the church is to be run, how it's to be governed, and we thank you, Lord, that we have your word, and that you've given it and preserved it to us, that it's living and active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword, and its purpose is for training and equipping and rebuking and rebuking in righteousness. And so we ask, Lord, that you would have your way with us, that we as a church, a local expression of your larger body of your church, would be equipped today, that we would learn, we would, we would understand what the church is to be like. And thank you, Lord, that you're in control of it all, that you are the head of the church. And so we ask, Lord, that we'd have a greater view of Jesus after today, that we would exalt, magnify, and put you on the throne of our hearts in relation to the church. So God, we just ask that you'd have your way with us, that you'd speak to us, and that uh, you'd get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you've been with us, we've been going through the book of Peter. And just as a short recap, uh, this is the Apostle Peter writing this letter to the churches scattered abroad. When we say that term apostle, the working definition that we're kind of been working out of over this series has been an apostle, meaning one given authority to bear authentic testimony to the life and significance of Jesus Christ. Peter is an apostle given authority to testify about Jesus, and he's writing this letter, this epistle, to believers scattered abroad, literally exiles living in a foreign, unknown land. And these believers that are living in this foreign land are being treated as social and religious outcasts. And much of the content of the book of Peter, of this letter, the five chapters we have here, is teaching these believers scattered abroad, living as exiles, how, ought, how they ought to live in the midst of a, a wicked and perverse generation. Much of this letter tells, tells believers how to, live, how to live and remain holy and how to obey Christ, how to be on mission in the midst of their lost community and the city and the nation that they're in. 
And much of this book is very relatable to you and I living in this nation, in the city of Santa Barbara. Um, and prayerfully, our, your time over the last several months in First Peter has been challenging and refining, but most importantly, fruitful. And that you've grown in that, that you've, you, that you've learned how you ought to live and how you, how you ought to be and how we're in the world but not of the world and how we're to be Christians living as exiles in the midst of much perversion and much wickedness. In our text today, 1 Peter 5, Peter, writing this letter, now turns his attention and his instruction to the elders of the church or the churches in that region. So now he's pointing the finger and he's giving instruction to the church leadership. Much of this so far has been to the, the everyday Christian, every, this applies to everyone, and now he's highlighting and specifically instructing the elders and the leadership at the church how they ought to act. And so the context, much of the context of this morning is, is about elders, and so we're going we're gonna to look at that in, in, in depth. What elders are, what their function is, how they're supposed to act, qualifications, who is to be an elder, who isn't, and how we're to respond to leadership and ultimately um, who the senior pastor is, being Jesus Christ. When we think of elders, for, for many of us, we have different connotations. Um, most of our maybe perception of elders is older, gray-haired men sitting in an office around a table. Um, that is true sometimes, and that also isn't true. It doesn't necessarily mean that elder has to be elder in the sense of age. Most of the time they are. But uh, this might be surprising to many of you, but I'm an elder here. Look at me. I do have some gray hair. My three-and-a-half-year-old da- daughter does point it out. She calls it white. What are these white things on your face? Uh, it's my gray hair. But I don't have much, right? I don't have gray hair. But I- I'm only 31 years old. Um, I am the youngest elder here at Reality, I will say that. Um, there, there are older elders here too. But it, that's usually the connotation we have. Are these older gray-haired men in an office somewhere um, making some kind of decisions, kind of like a board of directors or something of a company. But elders, is, but elders are men that are appointed by Christ to oversee and care for the local expression of the church. By definition, that's what we see in Scripture. That while Jesus is the chief shepherd over the church universal, he appoints men to oversee and care for the local expression of the church. And this, this term, terminology used um, for this position um, or this office is threefold. Um, they're kind of, you can, you can use either word. It's overseer or bishop, elder or pastor. Um, we see this terminology used in sync with each other. And we see that these terms are interchangeable and synonymous in the New Testament as they display different aspects or, uh, of the same position and responsibilities. And so when we're thinking of elders in the church, you could also say they're overseers or pastors or um, in some denominations they'd be called bishops. For example, this morning in 1 Peter 5, there's, there's three different, all, all three are used. One is prabuteros. Presbuteros, which is elder, overseer, which is episkopos, and shepherd, which is poimin, in the exhortation to leaders. And so in the Greek, there's three different words here used for elder. Presbuteros, episkopos, 
and poimi. There's three different Greek words used for one office. Does that make sense? And they're, and they're, and they're, and they're interchangeable. Simply put, elders are the governing body of men appointed to oversee and lead the church under, importantly, under the headship of Christ. You guys get that? You're with me? Okay, thank you. And in relationship to elders, we see in the New Testament that there's many different functions that this this elder, overseer, pastor has. Um, Everything from shepherding the flock of God, protecting the flock of God, watching for and guarding against wolves, being examples to the church, visiting and praying the sick, exercising oversight in the church, taking care of the church, preaching and teaching in the church, exhorting in sound doctrine, and refuting those who contradict. These are all descriptions of the tasks and responsibilities of elders in the church. And Peter's instructions to us in this section, our first five verses of chapter 5, He's instructing these elders in these churches in the foreign lands here, to the believers scattered abroad. He's giving them specific instructions of how they ought to lead and govern the church, uh, much aligned with uh, what the rest of the New Testament says. But this is what he says. Look at verse 2. The first thing Peter says to the elders is he says, you need to shepherd the flock of God among you. This is actually the same command that Jesus gave to Peter on the Sea of Galilee in John 21. This was after Jesus died and rose again. The, the Peter and a lot of the disciples went back to the Sea of Galilee. They went back to the old life of fishing. And Jesus meets them at the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus and Peter have a conversation. And in John 21, verse 16, Jesus speaking, um, kind of mid-conversation here, Jesus says, said to him, again a second time, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus said to Peter, shepherd my sheep. That same idea, shepherd the flock of God among you, that Peter is telling the elders is the same thing that Jesus told Peter himself. See the connection there. And that word shepherd means to tend. And not only that, besides tending and feeding, it also includes caring, leading, guiding, and protecting. All those things are duties and responsibilities that a shepherd has or an elder has in the church. And so Peter is saying this to the elders. One of the main things that you need to do in the church is to shepherd the church, care for it, tend to it, feed the sheep. Secondly, Peter goes on in verse 2, and he says, You also need to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. This noun here is, is, is episkopos, oversee, right? That we talked about earlier. But exercising oversight, or episkopos, is actually used five other times in the New Testament. Overseer here, like we said before, is interchangeable with elder and kind of connotates both spiritual and physical guardianship. So when it says over, exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, it says don't do this because you have to, but do it voluntarily unto the Lord and oversee the church both spiritually and physically. That's what Peter's telling these elders to do. He kind of continues that thought process on in verse 2, and he says, In relation to shepherding, you need to shepherd according to the will of God. 
and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Peter now addresses the motive of an elder or a motive of leadership. What he's saying here is he's saying the motive, intention, and reason of being an elder should be pure. You know, an example would be uh, social or financial pressures should not be substituted by any means for the pure motivation to do God's will and to serve him freely and eagerly. An elder should be called by God and oversee and pastor and care for the church because God is the one that's called him to, and he's doing it for God and not for anything else. There might be other things that come with that, but the motivation, intent, and reason that anyone should be an elder is purely according to the will of God, not for any type of sordid gain. Not for anything else other than serving God with pure intentions. Peter goes on in verse 3, and this kind of fourth point he makes in this text this morning. He says, also, elders should not lord it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. This idea, or this word lording, has the idea of domineering as in a rule of a strong person over a weak person. Lording over it, it's just this domineering thing where, you know, I'm here and you're here and you need to do whatever I tell you because I'm an elder and you're not. Instead, Peter says, don't do that. Don't operate and oversee and shepherd and care for the flock in that way. But instead... He tells the elders here to serve as models for the people to follow. Elders, leadership in the church, are not to drive God's people, but to lead them by their examples, to, by their own mature Christian character. This is what Peter's doing right here. He's, he's saying, he's saying I've instructed the church, I've instructed believers, now I'm instructing you elders Just because you've been appointed as leadership in the church, that doesn't make you free to do whatever you want. There's actually a higher standard. There's there's, there's care and effort and prayer and time and a calling that goes into this. Your motives need to be checked. The reason why you're doing it, how you're doing it, needs to be kept in line in order for you to be an overseer or an elder in the church. So Peter just goes through those four things. And here at, you know, just to bring it home for a second, here at Reality Santa Barbara or in other biblically sound churches, these are the things that you should expect from the leadership and from the elders. From me. I'll bring it even more home. From me. This is what you should expect from me. Being one of the elders. You You should expect and see us Shepherding the flock and protecting the flock and taking care of the church and refuting sound doctrine and caring for the church. What we would call this theological term would be our ecclesiology. Ecclesiology just being a fancy word for how the church is run or it's governed. And so if you're curious about a church, a very important thing would be to ask what their ecclesiology is. How is the church structured how is leadership structured? And knowing for yourself what the Word of God says, it's, it's good to ask that question. It's good to know how the local church is governed because God gives guidelines for it. God gives structure to it. 
What he also does is not only are there, 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 there roles and functions and tasks that elders and leaders in the church should do, but there's, 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 there's a lot of qualifications that Scripture gives for someone to be an elder. We see this uh, most prominently in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, 6 through 9. I have them up here just so that you can see that there are qualifications for someone to be an elder. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 6, this is the New Living Translation, says, This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? A church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. This is Paul speaking to young Timothy, right, instructing Timothy as Timothy himself is raising up new elders into the church, also assessing his own life. Timothy, this is how elders in the church are to be like before you put them into this role or this position. Titus also says a very similar thing, some ways a bit different and adds a little bit to the qualifications, but Titus 1, 6 through 9 says this. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife, and his children must be believers who do not have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. A church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. He must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it they were wrong. An elder... Being put into position is not a light thing. You know, the Bible would also say not lay hands on someone too quickly. In other words, allow them to serve and be a part of the church and know them in and out so that the other elders, after praying, after feeling God leading, can look at these qualifications and say, yes, their their life lines up to what the Bible would describe as qualifications for an elder or an overseer in the church. The Bible has more to say about elders in, 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 in many different ways. And we believe that one of those is that the role of an elder is reserved only for men. We would call ourselves, as reality, complementarians. Or you would call this idea of the interpretation of scriptural complementarianism. Um, we get this position not by our personal or cultural biases, but by a careful reading of scripture, of God's word. In Scripture, we see God has obviously, you guys know this, both made men and women equally in his image, but there are distinctions in the roles in the church. Much like, you know, reading about a husband and wife, how they're equal but different. 
This is clearly seen. We see these differentiations in roles. It's clearly seen in creation uh, before the fall, Genesis 1 and 2. Differentiation of roles implies neither superiority or inferiority, but a divine order. I mean, God is, is doing this for a reason, and there's order to what he asks in order to why he does or doesn't do something. And then also, every mention in the New Testament about elders, everyone is male. And the most telling passage of this point is Paul's instruction to Timothy, also in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I think I have it up here. New King James Version says, And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. From all these things, what we can see because of these, that ultimate authority, under Christ, obviously, and, under, and any authoritative teaching in the church are reserved for male elders. No other position in the church is necessarily restricted to men other than the office of elder. To give a little you know, positive note to that, in Scripture, we see women leading and prophesying and praying and occupying many other roles in church leadership. And to be clear, other than the role of elder, we believe women under the authority of the elders are allowed and should be permitted to operate in any other manner. Really, they can do anything else other than be an elder. That's what we believe Scripture to tell us. Um, That's what we believe God says when it comes to overseers, shepherds, and elders in the church. We also see that the beautiful thing of shared leadership is in Scripture. We hold to the concept of this. Uh, We like to call it a plurality of elders in the local church. And this is really important because many churches may have uh, a group of elders or or some elders or one elder. But we, we clearly see this concept in Scripture of shared leadership or a plurality of elders in the local church. And this concept of plurality or a group of men as elders in the church isn't, isn't a new concept or a unique one um, it, it, by any means. It's seen in Scripture a lot. You know, shared leadership is found in the Old Testament among the Old Testament priests uh, and the elders of Israel. Uh, it's in Jesus' founding of the apostolate with all the apostles. And also when Paul, when he writes all his letters in the Pauline protocol, we call it, for establishing elders in the church. We see there's an idea here of shared leadership. There's not one person that has all the power, one man that has all the power, but there's a plurality of elders. We see this throughout Scripture. Examples of this are in the uh, book of Acts. Acts 13, Acts 14, Acts 15, Acts 20. 1 Corinthians 15, Philippians 1, 1 Timothy 5, Titus 1, 1 Thessalonians 5, Hebrews 13, 17, 24, James 5, 1 Peter 5, our text this morning. This idea of a plurality of elders. But what's important to note is that um, if you've ever worked with any group of people or done anything together, it is wise and good that that what we would call a first among equals, or someone maybe leading the rest of the elders. It doesn't mean that they have more power or more of a vote in any reason, Um, but we do think uh, and do see that there is maybe one more elder with a prominent role or gifting. Um, Peter 
was like this in the early church. Peter, Peter was kind of um, one of those first among equal elders with other elders in the church, but he never referred to himself as a senior leader over the rest. Even in this text this morning, 1 Peter 5, he refers to him as a fellow elder. You guys with me? There's a lot going on here. It's really important, though. You with me? Okay. I, it's, I can't see you. I honestly can't see you. There's bright lights in my eyes, and so all of you could have left. It couldn't know. I wouldn't know. So I'm just, I'm just like, hey, you guys there? I can't really see you. Um, just haven't taught here in a while. Carpentry, it's like lights on, sun's out when you teach. So anyway, back to the text. The benefits are obvious of shared plurality in the church. When you go to a church and ask how it's governed, and they have elders, and there's a plurality of elders. Here, here, here's why there's benefits to that. One is more ministry can be done because there's not one person that's doing it. There's not one person that's making the decisions and making the calls, and you have to check everything through that person. With shared leadership, more service, more kingdom work can be done because there's more people involved. The benefits from having a plurality of elders like we here do have at Reality Santa Barbara is accountability. You get that. Moral accountability, financial accountability. That we know each other's lives, that we can pray for one another, that we can correct one another. Just as there's accountability with your friends and your family, there's accountability in the government or or the leadership at the church. And also, the beauty of shared leadership is protection for wrong decisions, right? We're all... We're all normal, we're all people, we're all sinful, we make mistakes. And the beauty of having more people making decisions is that it's less likely that you make a a bad decision, if that makes sense. Peter has described this. He's laying it out. He's laying what elders should be like. Throughout the New Testament, we see what elders should be like and the expectations that in a church you should have of the leadership. There, there is expectations, and there's things that you should expect from elders and from a leadership at a church. But also, Peter, then in verse 5, responds to how leadership should respond. I mean, excuse me, how, how we as a church should respond to leadership. In verse 5, he says, You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So here we see there's instructions to those in the church of how they ought to respond to leadership. And the first thing that Peter brings up is he says, you need to be in subjection to elders. You need to be submitted to the elders that are leading the church. And the way that I would think of this, or the way that you can think of it, is that if you're part of a church, you should, if you're part of a church, you should willingly place yourselves under the authority of those that have been given the responsibility of leadership, believing that they have been called by God. That's what that means. Peter's saying leadership should be called by God and in doing it together in plurality, and it's God's the one that's called them, and they should be qualified to do so. And so in light of that, thinking the best, trusting them, Believing that that's what happened and that's what is happening, that we as a church should gladly and willingly place ourselves under the authority of the, uh, of the elders that have been given responsibility of leadership. That's what, that's what Peter's saying right here. But this is what that doesn't mean. 
It doesn't mean that you can't bring up concerns or issues or let the elders know if we've made a mistake. That, that's not what it's saying here. It's, okay, we just need to do everything that's ever said. And even if we're like, man, it doesn't even seem like that's in the Bible, but okay, the elders said it, so okay, I believe it. No. That would be lording it over and exasperating you. That would, be, that would be not what is being said here. It does mean that we should be available and open to hear your concerns and your issues, and we want to know if we've made a mistake. But the important thing here is that there's trust between the church and the elders. And what Peter brings up here is a manner of how you treat the elders. So he talks about, now he, he goes into this idea of humility. Peter quotes Proverbs three thirty four. He says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And at the end of the day, what he's saying here is, everyone here, we just need to, we just need to clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. Thinking the best, trusting that God has put people in place and allowing the Holy Spirit to move. Not meaning that we can't bring things up and can't talk and have conversations, but at the end of the day, that we need to submit and subject to the elders with grace, with humility, because we believing that God has put them in place. Amen? Amen. But verse 4 is really, really wanted to get to. All of that is super important. It is so important how the church is to run and how it's to govern and how it's to be governed. But verse 4, read with me verse 4. 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5, 4, it says, But when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Who is the chief shepherd? It's Jesus Christ. We at reality recognize Jesus as our senior pastor. He is the one that is in charge. He is our ultimate leader. He is the foundation of the church. He's the builder of the church. Jesus is the redeemer of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the chief shepherd. Excuse me, chief shepherd. Shepherd. Oh, shepherd. Um, Jesus is the chief shepherd of the church. And the one who loves the church as his very own bride. When Peter is instructing the elders of the church how they ought to act, in verse 4, when he says, but when the chief shepherd appears, what he's saying there is that Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the senior pastor. He's the one that's in control. He's the one that's built his church and is building his church and is adding to his church. And we as elders, right, speaking of elders here, are to be in subjection and submission to the chief shepherd, to Jesus Christ. And this is vital to the way that we function as a local church, and especially as church leaders. Here at Reality, we, we, we specifically don't call anyone the senior pastor because of verse 4 of 1 Peter 5. We don't believe that this title should be given to anyone but Jesus Christ himself and reserved for him. We might use the term lead pastor or pastor for teaching and vision or titles. They're just titles. Titles are titles. They're, just, they're not the vitals. Someone just told me that once. Titles are titles. They're not the vitals. But when it comes to Jesus, his title is important. He's the senior pastor. He's the chief shepherd. He's the head of the church. And it is so important that we as a local church or whatever church you go to, 
It's very important that we see Jesus as the chief shepherd and the church functions with that truth. See, correctly understanding that Jesus is the head of the church does a lot of wonderful things. One of them is it keeps us as a people, as elders, as leadership, from taking an unhealthy ownership of the ministry. And it keeps us focused on obeying Christ and doing everything we do for him. It really does. We we truly believe that it's not our church, it's his. It's not our sheep, they're his sheep. And that is so freeing. I mean, if you could put yourself in, in our shoes for a second. That is so freeing that ultimately God's in control. We're not. When there's a problem, it's actually God's problem. We're still going to be used by God. We still have responsibility. We're still under the headship of Christ to, to govern and oversee the church. But at the end of the day, we can rest in the truth. You as a church can rest in the truth that Jesus Christ is the senior pastor, and it's his church. I can't say this about every church, but we as reality, we see Jesus as being in charge. We're submitted to him. He's in control of our church. You can think of it this way. It helps us think of it. But you can think of elders in the church as under-shepherds. There's the chief shepherd, and we're under him, and we're under-shepherds. We're not fully in control. We're submitted to the chief shepherd. Or submitted and in subjection to his will and his leading. Here's why this can be very comforting to you, to you guys that aren't elders, looking at a church leadership. Sadly, in our nation, in our world today, there's many people in church leadership, specifically lead, or many people call them senior pastors, or the guy, the guy in charge of a church, falls. Whether that be morally or leaves the church, or he's removed, or for whatever reason, someone is removed, and they're in in like the lead leadership role in the church. Sadly, many churches fall apart when this happens. I mean, some disband entirely. Some never really recover. And having Jesus as the senior pastor, if we're really functioning in that truth, and, and, our, and our hearts as a church are really seeing Jesus as the one that's in charge. That the truth is that even if leadership or a lead pastor falls, it shouldn't change or impair the mission of the church. It shouldn't. Obviously, there'll be effects. Obviously, it'll be emotional and hard, and there'll be repercussions to it. But it shouldn't be everything because our foundation is based on Jesus Christ. Amen? so easy to put someone that stands on this stage of any church on a pedestal. It's so easy to elevate a man to a role that he shouldn't be elevated to. And there's a balance there, right? There's, there's love and care and respect and submission that happens to eldership, but Jesus is the one who should be on the pedestal. Jesus is the one who should be on the throne. We that stand on the stage and teach the word of God, we've been called to a great thing, a wonderful thing, a, a, a very heavy responsibility role. But at the end of the day, we're like, we're like you. We're servants to the most high God. We're also flawed. We're sinners. 
We mess up. We get things wrong. We, we don't always make the right decision. We don't always do the right thing. But what's comforting, when, when, we, when we truly believe and put Jesus on the throne as the senior pastor, what's comforting is that his way is always the best way. He always makes the right decision. He's perfect. He's without sin. There's no error in his ways. And he's also consistent and reliable and dependable. There's no shadow in his turning. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's our senior pastor. He's on the throne and he calls the shots. And we believe that that's what the Bible says and that's how it should be. We believe there's structure in the church and there's a place for elders and there's a place for, for how it's supposed to function well. But we believe that Jesus is the one that's on the throne. If you're going to sum all this up, just to some kind of just to just to come away with something, it would be said like this in summary. The church belongs to and is ultimately run by Jesus. Its purpose as a church is to exalt and glorify God, to edify and equip the body, and to explain and expose Jesus to as many people as possible. It's led under Christ by qualified elders who shepherd, oversee, and teach the flock with financial and legal accountability from the board of directors and by deacons who serve the needs of the flock. All so that the whole body may be equipped to do the work of the ministry as gifted and empowered by the Spirit. Church, as we gather here, as, as we gather as believers, as the local church, the church is supposed to be a place where we encounter and where we experience Jesus. And every element of the church is, is positioned to find and meet him in that way. Like, you know, these, these carpets on the ground here are for worship so that, that we can come and be at the feet of Jesus and worship and glorify him and, and praise him for who he is and what he's done. Communion right here is, is remembering his body that was broken and his blood that was spilt on the cross. Why we spend such a long time, for some of you, worshiping is because we believe that we were created to be worshipers first and workers second. We're created to worship God. We'll be doing it for all of eternity, so might as well do it for a long time on a Sunday morning. Right? Why do we teach the word for like, I'm only 35 minutes right now, but sometimes like an hour, Chris Lazo. Hour and five, Chris Lazo, Britt Merrick, Tim Chaddock, all those guys. Why do we do that though? It's because we find Jesus in the pages of scripture and it's because we want to hear the word of truth coming from his mouth, not from our mouth. That's why we teach, you know, most of the time, word for word, from God's word. Expository teaching, because it's Jesus who we want to hear from. Because he's the senior pastor, and we're just trying to be obedient to what he has for us. We as a church should rejoice in God as our senior pastor. This is why. Because he's the one building our church. And also... Jesus is the one that's made the way to the Father. Not us, not the leadership, not the elders. Jesus is the one mediator we have between us and God. And he's the one that saved us and died on the cross. And he made a way for us to get to the Father. And all of this, and all that we do, is so that, as simple as it gets, is so that we can meet with Jesus. That's it. 
If there's, if there's one thing that I would share with a young pastor or someone that just became an elder or anybody really in any type of ministry, if they're like, what am I supposed to do? How do I do this? I would say you're supposed to put people's hands in the hands of Jesus. When they counsel you, when they're broken, when they're hurting, when they've experienced grief, what am I supposed to do? Bring them to Jesus. Don't give them yourself. Don't give them your own wisdom. Give them God's word. As a worship team, as a worship leader, what are we trying to do here? Lights, camera, action? No. You know why we turn off the lights? So there's no distraction so that we can just be with Jesus. As a worship leader, his role is to get you guys to enter into the throne room of God. Conduit, tool. You see that now? You guys thought there was different reasons for things. There's not. We might try a whole bunch of different things, but there's only one end goal. We want you guys to meet with Jesus. We want you to, to, draw, to come to Jesus and know him for who he is and what he's done. And we're happy and honored to be able to see that interaction happen. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. And he prayed for them. And, he, and I pray that this would be true of us today. I would pray that this would be our prayer as well. Ephesians 1, 19 through 22. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ, including the elders. And he's made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we... We pray that these things would be true of us as a local expression of your church here in this room at Reality Santa Barbara today. We pray, God, that our attention would be fully on you, Jesus. That we would put you on the throne. That we would not put men or the name of reality on a pedestal, but we put the name of Jesus on that pedestal. We truly desire to meet with you and be with you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would have your way with us as a church. That you would show us, continue to show us in our own lives what it means to be a part of this church and to, to put you on full display and what it means to worship you and, and be with you and live for you. And, and so, Lord... We ask that you would take full control as you have. You, you, just, you just have your way with us. That you maybe readjust maybe even some of our expectations or the way that we've ha had our heart postured. And we just ask, Lord, that you, that all the attention, that all the glory, that all the credit, everything good that comes out of this church, this place, would be given to you. Because it's your church. You deserve all the credit and all the, all the praise. 
pray these things in, in Jesus' name. Amen.